Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mike Spaulding, how's that dryer coming? For, right. people, for people not listening, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I had a problem with my dryer i called tom the repair guy he came in and i was just amazed to 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 get to this bearing you had to take the entire dryer apart i mean the entire dryer apart and there must have been 30 or 40 nuts and bolts and and all this stuff unplugged just just to fix this and i was just looking at this entire dryer spread out over my laundry room thinking boy i would not have tried to do this and so in life finish uh, following art Yesterday, Mike Spaulding disclosed that, that his dryer had a problem, and he, rather than calling Tom, decided you know he was going to go the YouTube route or whatever, and he was going to fix it himself. And when we heard from him yesterday, you had pretty much taken the dryer apart. So where do we stand now? We stand where I wait on the Postal Service to bring me the parts that I need. Okay. So the parts have been ordered. All right. Dryer is still apart. Okay. Wife is still tentatively excited about the fact that it will be fixed. She's not getting too excited. Does want uh, your buddy's number, by the way, just in case. Uh, but I'm still feeling good. I'm still feeling strong. I get weaker by the day that I don't have the parts because it's further away from when you actually do the project. Uh, but no, I'm feeling good so still. So your dryer is is taken apart. It is unplugged. It is scattered all over your the, the room where the dryer sits. Yes, it is waiting to have the nuts and bolts accidentally tipped over at some point, and they all get you know unorganized as I had painstakingly take those steps to do on when was it Monday night, Sunday night, Monday night, whichever night it was. Uh, so and it yeah, is now Thursday. So the, the next developments will be at some point in time the parts will arrive. You hope. That the parts you ordered, number one, will fit, but you hope you will also you have correctly diagnosed the problem because there's a chance that this might not be the problem. There is a chance it might not work. Uh, we have looked at uh, Home Depot and Lowe's to see what new dryers cost. <laughs> just in, you know, it's always good to just have that uh, back, that idea have in a place. Backup plan, yeah, exactly. Got to have a back. I've got the number of I've, I've got Tom's number, and I, I know how much a backup dryer costs and things like that. Okay, so, but I, I'm curious. You and, and there is no question though. When you get these, you're going to try to fix this bad boy. Oh, I'm I'm. Like hell, I am. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna dedicate a whole entire like Saturday morning afternoon to this thing. Tentatively plan a celebratory dinner Saturday night. Uh, it's on hold though. But no, I'm feeling good about it. I'm gonna. Like I said, I can. If I can see something put together and I physically take it apart, I feel like I can replicate the steps in reverse. It's just again, is it, if it doesn't work when I put it all back together, then. Then we're up creek, as you would. And what we're also going to have to do, assuming this all works out, we are going to have to try to figure out how much of your time you have put into this, because and then and then do kind of that calculation as to even and I, I, look, I hope you're able to fix it. I hope you've diagnosed it correctly. I hope it works. But when you add the, the stretch, now there's two ways to go. People will say, "Oh, I've got this incredible satisfaction because I fixed it myself," or it will be, "I just spent." 24 hours of my life <laughs> that I'm never going to get back trying to deal with this. Yeah, it, yeah, I'm one hour in right now. It took one hour oh. to take apart and okay. clean 
everything. That took well, right. maybe 90 minutes, but I kind of right. was okay. able to zoom through that. Putting it together, that's what I'm assuming is going to take that large eight-hour chunk, even though it says a 30-minute quote-unquote repair. I'm giving myself and when a is lot it, of When are the parts with. supposed to arrive? Friday. Tomorrow. Okay. Oh, right. gosh. That is tomorrow, huh? All right. Yeah. yeah. So I Tomorrow. know what you're going to be doing this weekend. Okay. And like I say, the offer still stands. You know, our dryer is working. So if you want to come over to our place, we would be delighted to host you while you, you throw your clothes in there. Well, so. thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, and if you're not careful, I might take you up on that. <laughs> oh, no, I mean it. All right. That's the update on that. All right. Let's give you an update on another thing. Marquette University, they are out with a new poll. And I know some people roll their eyes when it comes to polls, although their, their poll of the last election, I, I think – you know, pretty much, you know, nailed it. They had um, they had the Michaels-Evers race as a toss-up, but Evers slightly ahead for most of the time, and Evers, you know, won by a couple points. They had the uh, they they had Ron Johnson ahead of Mandela Barnes. Now the margin wasn't quite as great as they predicted, but but at the end of the day, they pretty much got those results correct. And you know, I think it's kind of tough to poll in Wisconsin where things are very close. So here is what they have polled on. In the poll being released today, and there, there's two different results I want to share with you. If the 2024 election for president was held today between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the Republican, and President Joe Biden, the Democrat, would you vote for Ron DeSantis or Joe Biden? And of course, Biden hasn't declared that he's running again, and Ron DeSantis hasn't declared that he's running, period. But they asked this question All right. Among registered voters. So this isn't just Republicans and Democrats. It's all registered voters. And the numbers are dead heat. Forty two percent say that they would vote for Ron DeSantis. Forty two percent say they would vote for Joe Biden. Eleven percent say someone else. Four percent wouldn't vote. So for all intents and purposes, a dead heat. Forty two. Forty two. They ask the next question. If the 2024 election for president were held today between former President Donald Trump as the Republican and President Joe Biden, the Democrat, would you vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Now, keep in mind the DeSantis Biden numbers were forty two. Forty two. The numbers. Thirty four percent say they would vote for Trump. 44% say that they would vote for Biden, and 19% say that they would vote for someone else. So Biden-DeSantis, dead heat, if you believe the numbers, and look, DeSantis isn't running, Biden hasn't announced re-election, but a dead heat, Trump loses to Biden in this poll by 10 points. And that is, by the way, they've been asking this question about Trump-Biden matchup since um, since November of 2021, and this is the worst that, that Trump has done, that 10-point, uh, I shouldn't say that, at one point in time it was 12, but this is, this is the worst that he has done in the last three or four polls. He loses to Biden by 10 points. DeSantis, it's a dead heat. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is a WTMJ talk and text line. What do you take from this poll? Is it that, well, polls are unreliable, this doesn't matter, it's two years away, who cares? And I, I think, you know, it, it is two years away. And, but at the same time, is this something that you just ignore? Because in this poll, dead heat, DeSantis and Biden, in Wisconsin, Trump loses by 10. 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk and text line. And as we frequently point out, I think it is not impossible for sure. But it is very difficult for 
the way the electoral map breaks down, it is very difficult for a Republican to win the presidency if they do not win Wisconsin. Not impossible, but difficult. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I'll start the conversation off by telling you one of my big takeaways. One of my big takeaways is just like Paul Ryan says, Donald Trump, if he ends up being the nominee, Republicans lose. Should we pay attention to polls like this or are they completely meaningless? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. If you're just tuning in, Marquette Law School out with a new poll and, it, and they do head-to-head matchups. They say, okay, if Ron DeSantis was the Republican presidential nominee, and this is in Wisconsin, if he was the Republican presidential nominee, who would you vote for him or Joe Biden? And again, I understand Biden hasn't announced he's running for re-election. DeSantis hasn't announced he's running, period. The race is a dead heat. 42% say they would vote for DeSantis. 42% say they would vote for Biden. When they ask the same question, Donald Trump, who is running for president in 2024, when they ask that same question among the same registered voters, would you vote for Trump or Biden? Um, the numbers come in 34% for Trump, 44% for Joe Biden. So Biden wins by 10 points in that hypothetical matchup. What, what does that what can we learn from this? Is our answer just, well, okay, we ignore polls, that doesn't matter, or is there something more telling? 855-616-1620. Let's say, um, uh, Jeff, first, how can people still vote for Biden after what they've seen so far? What a disaster. I don't get it. Second, I would vote for DeSantis, but not Trump, unless he's all we have on the Republican scene. I like uh, what Trump did, but I don't like him personally. Jeff, this just confirms what I've been saying for the last two years. DeSantis should run. Trump should move on and endorse DeSantis. Jeff, I'd like to see a few more of these polls and hope the results may convince Republicans other than Trump to run for president. I think Trump is a disaster. I suspect he'd lose to almost anybody. Jeff, we should pay attention. Trump rode the fed up with the establishment wave in 2016. Um, uh, Trump derangement syndrome drove his supporters underground, scared to be outed. Um, um, the phenomena was singular to Trump's style. Um, I think there's an element of I, I think, again, I've make, been making this point. I think 2016 was a unique time in American in politics. Um, it was a unique set of circumstances. Donald Trump was the outsider. He was the unknown, the unknown quantity who still, I think, was trading on. The, he was a TV star and things like that. And you had Hillary Clinton, who was an extremely unpopular, at least in many circles, um, uninspiring sort of candidate. And those things all came together to give Trump the surprise win. He hasn't been able to recreate that magic since then. And I see nothing to me that suggests that it's going to happen moving forward. Um, Jeff, how exactly does DeSantis become the nominee without beating Trump? Do you think Trump just says um, he lost fair and square? Well, actually, I, and I've said this, I think and I, I will probably perhaps eat these words. I think there's a better than even chance that Donald Trump doesn't make it to the primaries. I, I think whether it's it's a lack of support in the polls moving forward, whether it's a lack of ability to generate 
large amounts of money. And, and most of the big donors that, that helped him before they have, have moved on, um, I, I think I think if Trump comes to the conclusion that he, he's going to go down in flames in the primary, I think what happens is he tries to find a graceful way out. Now, you can define, you know, how that would be. I don't know what that graceful way out is going to be, but I think there's a better than even chance that, that if those things happen and you're going to start to see more and more of that happening with, with these, I think, as more of these polls come out. To give you an idea, one of the questions that the Marquette Law School poll asks Republicans, this is Republican voters, they say, would you like to see Donald Trump run for president in 2024? And uh, 55%, which is the, the lowest number it's been since they've been asking that question. And only the second time in the last year and a half that it's below 50%, 45% say no. 45% of Republican voters right now, even though he's announced for president, saying no, that they, they don't want to see him run. That, I think, kind of tells you something here. Jeff, I don't believe the poll. I think DeSantis would mop the floor with Biden. I think Biden would mop the floor with Trump. Um, Yeah, I I think that's it. Jeff, I'm not sure we could learn anything from the poll, except Trump sure could. Like, don't waste your time. People don't want you to run um yeah that's that's it jeff if it's 42 42 dead heat between biden and desantis the election will be decided by independent voters trump wouldn't have a prayer with them desantis would um i I think you know that's i think there is there is definitely an element of that jeff i can't believe 42 percent of people using common sense would vote for biden oh no well first of all you have to understand we're, we're very very entrenched in this country you you have you have Democrats who will vote for whoever the Democratic candidate is, and Republicans will vote for whoever, whoever the Republican candidate is. So th- th- there's going to be that segment. No, am I am I surprised that you have 42 percent saying either way? No, the real staggering number is that only 30 some percent of all the voters, including all that Republic Republicans, say that they'd be willing to vote for Trump. Uh, Jeff, Trump loses as a Republican. If he runs as an independent, Republicans lose. Um, there, There is an element of that, but it's not as easy as you think to run as, as an independent. It's it's hard to get on the ballot in, in all 50 states. The rules are, are different as to what you end up having to do. And there, there's a lot of money that you have to have to you know, fund those efforts. You know, Ross Perot was able to get his reform party on the ballot, but Ross Perot put a lot of money into it. I'm the thing about the third party challenge is I'm just not sure I I see Donald Trump investing the money it's going to take to, you know, get on the ballot in all the different states. Now, I mean, I, I sincerely believe that from the perspective of Donald Trump, you might say, well, he might run as a third party. Well, that means you know getting organizers out there. That means getting the signatures. That means investing the money. I, I'm not sure. I am not sure Donald Trump can exist without the Republican infrastructure that surrounds him. And if he's not the nominee, he's not going to have that. Jeff, I voted for him twice. I'm moving on to bigger and better things. I think a lot of people. Um, you know, I think a lot of people end up feeling that way. Jeff, a lot of people say they like what Trump did. Does that include trying to overthrow the 2020 elections? 
Well, I think that's the question. Jeff, we have to move away from Trump. Enough is enough. Well, here's, here's kind of the message out there. And I understand that there's all sorts of people who, for whatever reasons, continue to love Donald Trump. Here is, is the reality. You, you don't have to have been a never-Trumper to be a never-again Trumper. And I think at some point in time, the question has to become, do, do Republicans want to win? And for the life of me, I, I haven't seen anybody who can offer an explanation as to how the Republicans win with Donald Trump. They didn't win in 2020 with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump hasn't done anything since 2020 that I think would inspire people to come and, and support him, whether it was the, the election stuff or the January 6th stuff, whether you hold him culpable or not. There, there's nothing that Trump has done, including his announcement speech a couple of weeks ago that he was running again, that indicates that the guy has any sort of forward looking ideas. What exactly are you running on? What would a, tw- a Trump 2024 term look like. He's given nothing to people to make them want to vote. And I think a lot of people have just had enough. And so this, I think it's kind of a wake up call to people that are out there. And my guess is you're going to see more and more polls that are exactly like this, suggesting that while he has support and there's still people that like him, there's not enough people to get him elected, which means maybe, maybe people need to start thinking about if Trump is the plan A and plan A ain't going to work, what is plan B? Man, the carnage on the roadway continues. I um, Every once in a while, you make these kind of lucky choices. Yesterday after the program, I drove out to Waltosa and um, met a very dear friend of mine for drink and, you know, have a drink and I'm going home and I was there, there's two ways I could go I could either try to get on on the freeway I-94 and go back towards the city and then go north or I could go west and try to go up 41 or whatever and and, and go that route and I, I made the decision not to get on 94 and what a good decision because I turned on our radio station I-94 west at Hawley Road was closed because of apparently what Mike Spalding like a gun battle that apparently broke out on the freeway yeah something we see all too often near downtown Milwaukee. Yeah, two cars shooting it, or at least one car shooting at another car. Right. shut the highway down at the worst possible time of the evening, too, right. just about 5 o'clock. Right, and then it, it was closed for about an hour. And about again, an hour. I, I would have been going the other way, but I know there's a huge gapers block and things like that. And I, I, it was funny because it just it kind of worked out that way because I didn't have the radio on right away when I was leaving. And then, I, then as I turned it on, I heard Debbie with the reports and stuff. So it was like, boy, I made the right decision to go this route. But... But again, another one of these situations where five o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, rush hour traffic, and I'll describe it as a gun battle, at least a shooting breaks out on the freeway, for goodness sakes. And then, of course, you know, the other story is 7.45 p.m. last night, you had a, a fatal crash, not that far from where we all used to work, 29th and Capitol, which is just, it's a it's a battleground. It's a war zone on so many different levels. But you know, we don't have too many details about it. But apparently a car um, driven by, there was a 39-year-old guy and a 29-year-old guy. They lose control. The driver loses control of the car. I assume it was going at a high rate of speed, but smashes into a tree and bursts into flame. And both of those people have been killed as a result of that. It's just 
I wish I had answers to this, whether it's gun battles on the freeway and shootings on the freeway at rush hour or two more people dead because of obviously reckless driving and, you know, a fireball and 29th and Capitol where on any given moment you, you take your life into your own hands if you're driving. I wish I had good solutions other than to say you you, you got to be really careful if you're out there because there's a lot of crazy people on the road. Did you ever watch that 70s show? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, and I, I used to love it because, first of all, it was set in Wisconsin. It was set in the 70s. I, that's when I came of age, so I could relate to those sort of things. But one thing I couldn't relate to, have you been following the, the guy that played Hyde, Danny Masterson, who played a high school buddy of all these other kids, even though he's like 10 years older than all the other actors, he was on trial for, for rape in Los Angeles. And it, it goes back to it, – it's a – it's a weird sort of story because he's very active in, in Scientology, and three women allege that, that he sexually assaulted them, but the allegations go back to like 2001 and 2003 and 2004. And anyways, the, the case was presented to the jury. The jury um, deliberated and deliberated and deliberated, and then could not reach a verdict. In criminal cases, you have to be unanimous. You have to either, all 12 jurors have to either agree that the person is guilty or agree that he's not guilty. And they came back, they, they couldn't reach a verdict. The interesting thing about this is that of the charge, the jurors apparently talk afterwards. And, and most times when you see a hung jury, it, it's in favor of conviction. This wasn't the case. Of the rape charges, 10 out of the 12 jurors um, wanted to find him not guilty on one count. Um, eight out of the 12 wanted to find him not guilty of a second count. And seven of the 12 wanted to find him not guilty on the third count. So there of these three different charges that were out there, the majority of jurors in all cases wanted to find him not guilty. You say that's unique? Yeah. Usually it's the other way around. Usually it's the other way around. Usually if the prosecution brings the case as a general rule, you'll have, you'll have one or two holdouts that I'm not sure if he's guilty or not. It's, it's, it is, in my opinion, very, very unique to have the majority of people decide that the the state hasn't proven its case. And that might be instructive because the state hasn't announced whether or not it's going to retry him. But the question, see, if, you know, if you got 10 out of 12 people that say the guy's guilty, you can say, okay, well, we, we, we retry him. We really believe that he's guilty. We'll bring this back to court because maybe there was, there was something going on. Maybe you had a weird juror or whatever. But when you have the majority of jurors, and in some cases an overwhelming majority of jurors who, who don't think your case meets it, your, your prosecution's case isn't going to get any better. So I think I would not be surprised if they decide not to retry him based on this. Can a judge go back and say, no, you're, gonna, you're, you're going to – figure out guilty or not guilty like do they have that power like what the word well, hopelessly deadlocked is right well what what they do um in, in federal law they, they call it the allen charge um you, you you give the jurors the instructions and you you tell them okay we, we want you to try to reach a decision if and this happens a lot at some point in time the jury will come might come back and say hey, we're deadlocked we can't reach a verdict what the judge will judges will do in almost all cases is say look there's there's nothing to believe that another jury could decide this case better than you go back and try to try to reach a decision. And at some point in time, though, after they've deliberated and deliberated, when they tell you we, we can't reach a decision, you, you, you got to let them go at some point in time, because otherwise it's perceived that you're coercing a verdict. So the, the judge in this case did send them back a couple of days ago and said, look, I'm, I, you, you got to deliberate and try to decide. And they, they ultimately couldn't. So but it will be interesting to see if they if they retry him. If I was a prosecutor and I learned that 10 of the 12 jurors did not buy what I was selling, 
unless I had something dramatic that I could do, new evidence that emerges or something, that would kind of tell me that regardless of what happened, I mean, I don't know if he assaulted these women or not, but from the perspective of being able to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt, you got issues. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like the DA is super bent on retrying this either. They released a statement saying they're disappointed, but thanked the jury and just said they, they appreciated the, the victims for, quote, bravely stepping forward and recounting their experiences. So yeah. it doesn't seem like they're like, we're, we're going back at this again. Right. Well, and again, when, when you realize, and, and part of that is obviously it's not like, oh, this isn't 11 to 1 and we had one holdout juror and with the better jury panel we find this was obviously there were problems with the prosecution's case. And again, I take no position on whether the guy is guilty or not, just simply that the prosecution's case wasn't there. When we come back, hey, if you're expecting that student loan relief, hold on. Stick around. So very glad to have you with us. Matter of fact, a couple of our texters um, claim to have some more information about that that crash that occurred on 29th and Capitol, where we had two people dead. I assume it was a car that hit a tree, lost control, and ended up uh, exploding, and uh, two people are dead. We'll, we're kind of pursuing that. I think there might be more to the story, as there often as there often is. Okay. You will let's let's kind of review the bidding here before to, as we ease into this topic. The when the pandemic hit in 2020, early 2020, you had the the economy that essentially shut down. Remember, and, and you had the, the government that shut down a lot of non-essential sort of businesses, sort of arbitrary in Wisconsin. But the government shut down a lot of businesses. People were laid off. People lost their jobs. Not everybody, but but some people did. And you know, the stocks went into a free fall, all those different things. Well, we, we started taking a number of emergency measures as a government to try to help people get through it. You had economic stimulus payments that were put out. You had, you know, the government putting delays on people having to make various sort of payments. You know, you don't have to make your rent payment for a while, those sort of things. We're going to extend unemployment benefits, all these different things. And one of the things that the government did beginning in March of 2020 was they said, all right, we're going to suspend student loan payments. And, and that was Trump who, who, who did that at first. And then Congress came in and, and Congress, you know, reinforced that and say, no, we're, we're going to continue this because we've got a, a pandemic that, that, that's going on. Now there is, there is a, a law that goes, it's called the HEROES Act, and it goes back to 2003 in the aftermath of, of, of September 11th, 2001. And it gives the, the, the Secretary of the Department of Education, who essentially works at the direction of the president, gives him powers in times of national emergency to suspend things like student loan payments. And so that's the authority that Trump used. It's the authority that Congress and then Congress came in and said, we're going to suspend it. And then Biden used that, that power using this, this claim that it's a national emergency. Okay. Well, that was, that was 2020. That was 2021. And now a month from now, we're going to be in 2023. Joe Biden 
for whatever reason, wants to give people student loan relief. Joe Biden has proposed, he's put a moratorium on having to make payments. That has cost the taxpayers hundreds of billions of dollars. He has also come in and he has said, I want to, I just want to forgive a whole bunch of student loan debt. I want to say, Ten, if you make up to $125,000 a year, I want to just let you wipe away $10,000 of debt. If you're married and you and your spouse have a joint income of $250,000 or less, I want to wipe away $20,000. And I'm going to have the taxpayers end up paying for this. And the authority, the justification, once again, is is this HEROES Act. We, we do this because it's time of emergency. Now, Congress would have the ability to do it, but Joe Biden knows that Congress would never vote for something like this. So he just tried to do this with a wave of his magic wand. Well, what's happened is there's been a couple lawsuits which have emerged. One is a lawsuit filed by states, a couple um state attorneys general who said that the government doesn't have the federal government doesn't have the authority to do this this case and lower court judges have looked at this and said yeah we think you're right this case is fast-tracked for the u.s supreme court the the big issue is whether or not the states have what i'm calling standing which is uh, in order to to sue you have to have an interest in the case and that's the the argument the government is making is that whether it's legal or not you shouldn't even consider it because they don't have the standing to sue there's another case which is making its way through the courts which were filed by individuals who argue again that biden doesn't have the right to do it um and a federal judge in texas agreed with them and yesterday the fifth circuit court of appeals agreed with the lower court judge that said Biden doesn't have the ability to do this and extended that order. So you've got two orders now, which put one, a lawsuit filed by the state, one, a lawsuit filed by some individuals, which are putting this on on hold. And as a result, Joe Biden continues to now he wants to try to extend again, claiming that there's a national emergency. He wants to extend the moratorium on payments for another six months or eight months. But with every day that goes by, it's looking more and more like his effort to forgive student loan, his loans are going to be shot down in the court as being illegal. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right. Like I say, it looks like these efforts are are going to be shot down. I, I don't think he's going to legally be able to do it. Could be wrong. Like I often say, you can go broke trying to figure out what a court is going to do. But if if he loses in the court, if his effort to forgive $10,000 in student loans or $20,000 for families making a quarter million, if that is shot down, are you going to be happy or are you going to be sad? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. From my perspective, this this is what, what Biden is doing, and I've said this before, is just absolutely outrageous. Expecting, and, and it's an effort of a wealth shift. I want to take money from some people. I want to give it to other people, including giving it to people who might not deserve getting this. I mean, seriously, if you and your spouse are making $220,000 a year and you owe some student debt, why in God's green earth should other taxpayers be funding, you know, your student loans that you voluntarily took out? I hope the courts step in and shoot this down. To me, this is a blatant attempt at trying to buy votes 
from a, a certain segment of society while essentially raising your right hand and waving at all the other taxpayers except not using all your fingers. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in West Bend. Mike, good afternoon. Mike. Um, yes, good afternoon. Okay, Can you so, hear me? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? Well, I'm very disappointed if it went through. I come from modest means and had an associate's degree and did well. My daughter, who's doing very, very well, started out with a bachelor's degree. I scrimped and saved so she'd have money for school, but I didn't want to give it to her. She earned it. And I said, we'll save that for your master's. But she went without heat in her Jeep for two winters and wore coats and worked three extra jobs. So when she walked out of the university uh, school in in the state of Wisconsin, she paid off her last $18,000. And I was proud of her to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thanks for call, Mike. This this whole giveaway has been nothing but a slap in the face at, at everybody else who did things the right way. First of all, Nobody holds a gun to your head and says, you, you have to take out a student loan. It's a choice that, that people make. And in order to avoid student loans, there's a lot of people who did all sorts of things. Maybe they went to a less expensive college. Maybe during school they went without, like you're talking about. Um, maybe they, they worked two or three jobs. Um, maybe if, if mom and dad wanted to participate. And I, I've, I've, we've had calls over the past when we've talked about this from folks who said, well, Wait, wait a second here. We we didn't want our kids to have to take out student loans, so we we didn't get as nice a car. We were saving aggressively for their college educations, so we didn't get it as ni- we didn't drive as nice a car, and we didn't go on nice vacations. And the guy across the street, well, you know, he he spent his money other ways. He drove the nice cars. They went on nice vacations. They took out student loans. Why should we reward them by saying, okay, we're going to forgive those student loans? Where Where is the fundamental fairness in this? And, it, and it's a very fair question. You know, we, we don't what about the, the people that, that decided not to go to college for whatever reasons? You graduate from high school, and you decide, hey, I want to start a landscaping company, so I'm going to take out a small business loan because I need to buy the trucks and buy the initial equipment. Well, we're not forgiving those loans. I mean, it's just th- this idea of we're going to pick and choose people. Now, if you wanted to, first of all, if you wanted to do this, you, you, you do it through Congress. You don't do it by trying to pretend we're in a time of national emergency, so we're going to use that to sock other taxpayers with hundreds of billions of dollars in expenses, when if there was a national emergency in March of 2020, it's certainly not going on now. Matter of fact, the the employment rate among college graduates is like about 1.9%. So it's not like you have widespread unemployment. This is nothing but an attempt to try to let's buy some voters by like taking money from some people and distributing it to other people. It's also an insult to, like I say, all of you who worked your way through college or all of you who made sacrifices or all of you who decided not to go to college. As a matter of fundamental fairness, too, explain to me why in God's green earth— if you have somebody who is working, who is making $100,000 a year at their job, why the taxpayers, many of whom make lots less than $100,000 a year, why they should come in and subsidize these student loans for the person who's now making $100,000? You know, if you wanted, 
I mean, if you wanted to do some sort of means testing and say, okay, maybe we should get some debt relief for, you know, people who are just really struggling, you, you can at least make that argument. But again, you have to go through Congress. This is nothing but Joe Biden deciding he's going to set himself up to be king and he wants to appeal to a certain segment of voters and he's going to do that at an expense to a larger scale of voters, thinking that the voters he's going to help out are going to be happier than the people who are going to have to pay for, uh, again, this executive order. I've said all along this is bad politics. I've said all along it's bad policy. Even more importantly, though, I think it is blatantly illegal And it's nice that you have a couple courts who finally are starting to step in and say, "Okay, President Biden, if you want to do this, there's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is you go to Congress and you have Congress pass a law. You don't just simply pretend, gee, I've got this this law that allows me to act in time of national national emergencies based on the aftermath of September 2001, and now what I'm going to do is I'm going to use that when there's clearly no emergency going on to do something to appeal to a certain segment of voters. I think both these court cases are are great. I don't know how they're going to turn out, but the bottom line of all this is – if if you're planning on automatically thinking some of these student loans are going to go away, I I wouldn't spend that money quite yet. Also – at some point in time, Joe Biden's going to have to, I think, start requiring people to begin making payments. Um, you know, the, the thing about this moratorium on student loan payments and the accumulation of interest is, again, it's not means tested. You have people who have been working. You, let, you, you've got, let's say, that husband and wife who are making $250,000 a year who've been working for the last couple of years. Why in God's green earth haven't they been expected to make student loan payments? I mean, it's not like there's any sort of hardship for doing it. This this is just a half-butt approach. And, and maybe it was valid in March of 2020 when we were having the COVID emergency. Maybe it was valid in September of 2020. Maybe it was valid in December of 2020, but it's December of 2022. Lots of stuff coming up on the program, including, is it too soon? I'll explain. We'll discuss. The program resumes after the top of the hour news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We're listening to Mike Spaulding's forecast, and it, yeah, it's, it is definitely, this is the start of what, meteorological winter, and it's definitely... Sounds like it's going to be that way. I think those warm summer days are behind us. All right. The good news, though, is that the daylight hours start increasing in just a couple of weeks. I mean, right now we're at the point in time where there's I, I always say, well, there's, you know, that the, you've got uh, the, the days get longer. And then somebody will always correct me saying, no, the days are always 24 hours. Well, everybody knows what you mean, that the daylight hours end up being longer. And that turns around on December 20th. That's when you have the winter solstice and the days, the daylight starts to increase a little bit as we move closer and closer to spring. All right. I want to do a follow up on what we talked about in the last segment of the program about the student loans. And there was there was a time when it was thought that you cannot succeed in this world unless you go to college and have a college degree. I, I've told this story before. I went to Nicolay High School in Glendale, and they always they always boasted uh, about, oh, we have a ninety seven percent college placement rate or something like that. But they they never 
They never told you what the, the graduation rate was. Of those 97% of the people who went to, who, who ended up going to college, how, how many graduated? And, and the truth of the matter is, I think it's, you just can't argue with the fact that for a lot of people, and there's, there's nothing wrong with college, okay? There's nothing wrong with college. I mean, I went to college, went to law school. There's nothing wrong with that. But for a lot of people, that's not necessarily the best choice. They have, you know, aptitudes. I've, I've been kidding Mike Spaulding for the last couple of days about he's trying to repair his own driver, a dryer. I can't do that. I, I, I don't have that aptitude. I didn't get the handy gene in, in my family. I'm not sure there was a handy gene in my family. I need people who know how to do those kind of things. And there's all sorts of stuff that I do, and arguably I think I do it reasonably well, but I, 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 I'm not handy like that. I, I can't. I can't repair a dryer, or, or maybe I guess I could, but it would take me, you know, a week to do it. I, I just, I don't, I don't do those sort of things. So what I do is what I do to make a living, and then I hire other people. I depend on those people who have those skill sets and the tools and all the stuff to do what I just, I can't do. And they don't need necessarily a college education to do that. They need on-the-job training. They need apprenticeships. And they need the, the whole idea that, okay, we're going to get our, our skill training somewhere, but we don't have to be in a four-year university. Now, there's some things. If, if you want to be a lawyer, I've got my law degree. Okay, you, you got to go to law school. If you want to be a doctor, you've got to go to, to medical school. I understand and appreciate all that, but not everybody needs to be a lawyer. Not everybody needs to be a doctor. So here's – there's a really provocative piece in the Wall Street Journal the other day. Employers rethink – the need for college degrees in a tight labor market. And this, this isn't the trades. All right. This isn't like, okay, the, you know, the people that are out there fixing the washing machines or doing the HVAC. These are, these are jobs which used to be viewed perhaps as white collar jobs where the entrance requirement, you have to have a college degree. If you don't have a college degree, we're not even going to look at you. Here's what the story says. The tight labor market is prompting more employers to eliminate one of the biggest requirements for many higher-paying white-collar jobs, the need for a college degree. Companies such as Google, Delta Airlines, and IBM have reduced educational requirements for certain positions and shifted the hiring to focus more on skills and equipment and experience. Maryland this year cut college degree requirements for many state jobs, leading to a surge in hiring. U.S. job postings requiring at least a bachelor's degree were 41% in November, down from 46% at the start of 2019. Degree requirements dropped even more early in the pandemic and remain way below the pandemic levels. And this talks about, you know, how the shift for the demand for workers is high, the unemployment rate is low, and that, you know, for occupations, not we're not talking doctors, we're not talking lawyers, but for occupations including, I don't know, people who are doing digital marketing, you know, people who are doing a lot of the computer stuff, people who are working at I, uh, IBM, even educational requirements for pilots at, at Delta, like, for example, you know, Delta used to say, if you want to be a pilot, you know, you need a four-year college degree. That is no longer required of job applicants. They say, well, we'd like to have college, but we're not going to require it. We're going to look at experience and things 
like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Now, this segment is not intended, again, to be anti-college. It, it, it's not. And certainly for some professions, there's no question that you need college and then you need further further education, specialized sort of education. But you know, do you automatically need, for example, a four-year college degree if you're going to be a pilot? You know, if 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 you've been flying planes, for example, you know, if you got your pilot's license at the age of 14 and you've been flying various sort of, of planes and have 10 years of flying experience, do you need a college degree? Should you need a college degree to go work for Delta? Or is this just an unnecessary burden? And I'm not saying that, that again, I'm not saying that college is invaluable, but if you've got somebody who's got 10 years of experience is flying airplanes or 15 years of experience flying airplanes, you know, do, do they need to have a college degree? You know, if you're hiring somebody to, again, do do marketing for Google or, or whatever, do, do you need somebody that's got a business degree from the University of Wisconsin to do that job? Or, you know, maybe you've got somebody who, I don't know, has been running their own sort of business or has all sorts of initiatives. Do you need that four-year college degree? Is should employers be requiring that, or do we need to take a more small L liberal view of what we need when we look at hiring people? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, in the industry I work in, if you're working at a radio or TV station and you're looking to hire a, a, a reporter, for example, do you need somebody, do you have to hire a reporter that's got a four-year degree in broadcast journalism or maybe, hey, if you've got somebody that's a news junkie and is bright and, you know, is articulate, I mean, is, is there anything wrong with saying, okay, we're going to give you a tryout, we're going to put you on the air, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think this is the wave of the future. And, again, this isn't, to me, it's not anti-college. That is not the point. But there's a lot of jobs where I don't really think you need a college degree to do them. Not saying it's bad if you've got the college degree, but, you know, maybe experience makes up for it. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is a WTMJ talk and text line. There, there's a number of businesses, and this is one of the new phenomena, that in, in an effort to get more employees, they used to have requirements that you have to have a four-year college degree, and, and they're waiving them. A lot of state governments are like that. One, Maryland is being an example of that. Maryland was having trouble finding employees. The story I'm looking at says, well, for example, they have they have people who they, they wanted to uh, – human resources roles. And, you know, they, they were requiring like a college degree, a business degree or whatever. And they said, you know, we were having trouble filling these. And so we, we started looking at other things and we started broadening the search. And we're, and we're not saying that, you know, there's anything wrong with having the college degree. And that's still a plus. But we, we haven't made it mandatory. And we've been able to hire these people doing human resources. And, and you know what? They're, they're working out fine. And we're able to bring more people in. We might have just been, you know, just automatically turning down people. And we're asking the question, okay, well, you know, for the, for this particular role, the human resource role, you know, what is it? Why do you automatically need the college degree? And more and more businesses are saying that. Why, if you're going to be hired to be a marketer for Google, all right, you know, okay, or a salesperson for Google, do you need the, the four-year degree? And I'm not saying that's bad, but, you know, maybe there's all sorts of people out there who have other sort of 
experience in the real world or aptitudes or whatever that, okay, we'll, we'll give them a chance. We'll, we'll try them. Yes, they don't have the college degree, but you know what? They've been, they've been selling and they've been selling successfully for the last 10 years and they're in their late twenties. Why would we not hire this person simply because they don't have a college degree? Jim in Waterford. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Jim. What do you think? Um, a couple of things about this. I strongly believe that you cannot replace a college degree with experience. I've been in the mechanical industry since I was 16 years old. I am 67. I'm semi-retired. And I have run across a lot of guys that have had college degrees that can't mechanicize their way out of a wet paper bag. But you <laughs> take the kid that's been working on the farm or working with his dad or his grandpa or whatever, or working mm-hmm. on pickup trucks and semi-trucks and et cetera, and they can walk all over these guys. I do not believe that experience should be replaced with a college degree. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. That's a, that's a great that's a great example of that. And this, I don't want anybody to listen to this segment and say, oh, he doesn't think college is important, because that, that's not my point. It, my point is, for the longest time, we've just gotten into this thing where the, the stigma where we're not even going to consider you. The minimum requirement for this job is that you have to have a college degree. And the question you ask is, is, is why? I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, but let's take... Let's take some kid who's, you know, worked at the, worked at the high school, you know, worked at his high school radio station and, you know, and then has some experience. I, I don't know, you know, working maybe part time at a, a radio station or doing something. Do you, do you need to say, okay, well, we're not going to give you a chance to be a radio reporter simply because you don't have a broadcast journalism degree? No. Um, here's a text. Jeff, I have a marketing degree from a state school, took a job out of college I could have easily done with only a high school education. Everything I learned in my 15-year career, I learned through my job and not college. I'm now a vice president manager at a technology company out of Chicago. No need for my college degree, in my opinion. I think it was a waste of four and a half years and money not necessarily well spent. Um, now, I have a have a text here from an airline pilot because that's one of the things. Delta Airlines is apparently saying that they're they're not discouraging people from applying to be pilots that have college degrees, but they're saying it, it's not you, it's not going to be mandatory, you know. And there might be, and one of our, our the, the the pilot says, "Well, look, I'm I'm captain of an airline at a major airline, and I think the college degree shows that you are trainable." And I and I, I appreciate that, but what about? I mean, what about the? Again, the kid that has the, the young person that has this huge interest in aviation and gets their pilot's license when they're 14 years old and has been working their way up and flying different planes and things like that. You know, what, what, what is there, what is their magic about that four year degree? Is it, is it a bad thing? No. And, and maybe it does mean that they're trainable, but my guess is there's a lot of people that came up on some of these alternative routes who are, are trainable a, as well. 855-616-1620. Jerry in Milwaukee. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I have three kids, and the first one graduated from Madison. Uh, she is working for the federal government and doing quite well. The second kid that I have quit high school, but then went back and got a GED, and now is a welder and doing quite well. And my third daughter uh, went and took a course in operating room tech, and she works full-time as a heart specialist at one of the hospitals. Mm-hmm. So right now, I would think, I would say to my kids, if I had younger kids now, I'd say, go get an apprenticeship 
and get a job as yeah. an electrician or a plumber. They're making a fortune. Well, yeah, no, there's no thanks. So there's, there's no question. There's no question about it. And again, if if you have if you have some, then look. If you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a heart surgeon. I, I want you. I want you. I want you go into doing pre med stuff, and I want you go into med school, and I want you to have all those training sort of things. But at the same time, if you're going to be a sales rep for you know fill in the blank, you know the ABC company, and and you've got that that ability to sell, I, I'm not gonna. I don't see why we would turn down somebody simply because they they don't have a college marketing degree. Jeff, I got turned down so many times for a sales position or a marketing job because I didn't have a marketing degree that I started my own business. Now I'm doing $5 million a year with 12 full-time employees. I did not need college, you know, for that. I I mean, yeah, I I think there's, there is an element of that. Now, one of our texters says, I want my pilot to have all the education they can get. I, 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 I want my pilot to be the best pilot possible. That's what I want. And again, if if you've if you've got a four year degree, I'm I'm all in favor of that. I think that's great. But on the other hand, if I have somebody that has extensive experience, I mean, let's I, let, let's say let's say you have somebody that's flying planes out of the military. I understand that's a different sort of situation. But I'll give you an example. You have somebody who goes into the military, becomes a pilot, trains there. They don't have a four-year degree. Are we going to say that they can't fly? No. I mean, I, I again, I want the best pilots, you know, possible. Um, no question about it. Um, Jeff, I quit my... Um, I quit my pre-veterinary classes and became a dog groomer. I'm 50 and can retire in a few years. Um, best decision that I ever made. I guess my only point for all this is th- these arbitrary requirements. Oh, well, well, why do we require people to have college degrees? Well, because we've always had people to require college degrees, and we think college degrees are a good thing. I think a college degree is a good thing, too, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the only avenue to open you up to a wide variety of jobs. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I will be interested to hear... John McCure's interview with Milwaukee County Circuit Judge David Borowski, who has been a an occasional caller on on the program. Um, Borowski, who for different reasons has been removed from criminal cases right now, I think he's in probate court or something like that. He's um, taken a lot of heat uh, appropriately for making a and there's this irony here, uh, this whole thing. Um, last August, you had a guy named Ernest Blakeney who killed a woman named Nikita Rogers before setting her home on fire on, on like 83rd and, and Vienna. So that was the deal with that. Now, this this is in the news, not just because it's a horrible uh, crime, but because this this murder happened just a few days after Blakeney, the murderer, had pled guilty to and was convicted of sexually assaulting a 13-year-old girl. Now, let's back up for a second. A lot of, like during, for example, the recent Senate races, we we had a huge conversation about, you know, cash bail and things like that. Well, okay, the reason people are entitled to bail in many cases is because in this country, 
there, there is a presumption of innocence. You know, until you either plead guilty or are found guilty, there is a presumption that you are innocent. And so attached to that is since there is a presumption that you are innocent, you know, there is a presumption that you shouldn't be locked up before you are, in fact, found guilty. And, and bail is a way to hopefully assure that you're going to show up for, for those proceedings. But that presumption of innocence disappears once you have been convicted, right? There, there's no longer, you know, there's no longer an entitlement to bail. Once you have been convicted and found guilty, no more presumption of innocence. And in this case, this Blakeney guy, he was convicted of sexually assaulting a 13-year-old girl. Now, the prosecutors asked that he be placed in jail. All right, let's let's revoke the guy's bail. He's clearly going to be going to prison. He's sexually assaulted a 13-year-old girl. And in, in a moment where, candidly, I mean, it, it just... It's it's just beyond me that you'd have a judge that makes this decision. But David Borowski denied the motion, allowed this child rapist to stay free on bond awaiting sentencing so so he could get his affairs in order. Well, apparently, you know, one of the things that he had to get his affair in order is to go out and murder this, you know, murder this this woman, his ex-girlfriend. So it was a striking an example of strikingly bad judgment, and and you know whether the judge went brain dead on this or just exercised incredibly bad judgment, you have somebody that's dead as as a result of this. Now the irony of this is that, um, and by the way, Blakeney after he murdered this woman, he led police on a high speed chase and a shootout on Water Street. So it could have been a lot worse. Now the irony of of this is that Judge Borowski, who clearly made a, a huge, huge mistake in doing this, and as a result of the decision the judge made, somebody is dead. Now, you know, and again, I understand he's not the one that killed the woman, but he had it within his power to lock up the guy who went out and, and killed the woman. And I think, you know, and again, there's not we're not even talking about, you know, a, a pretrial release. The man had been convicted. So this was a horrible horrible decision. Now, the irony of this is that, okay, when you look at the various judges in Milwaukee County, most of them, I I think, would fairly be described as liberal to extremely liberal. Uh, David Borowski is, is one of the rarest, rarest commodities in the Milwaukee County Circuit Court. He's a conservative judge. And so the ultimate irony is to me that, that it's him that made this decision to turn this guy loose because of all the different judges there, he would be one of the ones that I would least expect, you know, to make this decision to turn the guy loose. I mean, there, if you would say, gee, who, who do you think let this guy loose? I, I could give you would just without thinking, I could run off, you know, nine, 10, 15 of those judges. It would, wouldn't have been him, but he's the one that ended up doing it. So, and subsequently he's had some problems. Like I say, he's been removed from the criminal bench, but that's the irony of this story that uh, of all the different people, it would be the judge that normally, and he's been on my program, like I say, on multiple occasions, talking ab- about the, the crime problem and the problems with reckless driving and the problems with not holding people accountable. And he's the guy that doesn't hold somebody accountable who then goes out and commits this, 
this this terrible sort of crime. So that's that's the ultimate irony, I think, of of what we've got you know going on here. And I will be very interested to hear John's interview with him. And I think they're going to stretch it out over a couple of days. But I think he talks about that decision at least a little bit today. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, okay, the the final Jeopardy answer is pickleball. Pickleball. I'll give you the question in just a moment. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. The final Jeopardy answer is, what is pickleball? The question? The question is, what is the fastest growing sport in the United States currently? And the answer is, what is pickleball? Um, if you if you haven't played, well, let me, let me just back up. Pickleball actually dates back to the 1960s. But what happened is its popularity just went through the roof during COVID as more people discovered the sport, which is often um, played outdoors. In 2021, they estimate that there were 4.8 million people who played pickleball. That's up 39% from 2019. And one of the things that's been going on is that it, to, to answer the demand for pickleball, what you have is that more residential communities are rushing to either build pickleball courts or to retrofit tennis courts to accommodate the influx of players. And the way it works is you can take a single tennis court and you can, by, by adding lines and nets, you, you can turn a single tennis court into four pickleball courts that that's kind of how it works and and you know at one point in time tennis was the rage not so much anymore now it it's it's pickleball now if you haven't ever played pickleball and i i okay i've got a i've got a pickleball racket and i've got a paddle i guess and a pickleball itself is is sort of like a wiffle ball is how i would describe it and pickleball is a combination of i don't know tennis and ping pong and I don't know, maybe maybe racquetball or so, but it's played, again, on, on a court that's a quarter the size of a regular tennis court. You can play it one person versus one person, or you can play it in, in teams, and you – you, you bounce the like the wiffle ball and you hit it over the net and you both kind of run up to the net and you kind of volley it back and forth. That's that, that's that's sort of how you you do it. My wife and I took we we actually took a couple pickleball lessons last summer and she she actually kind of liked it more more than I did. But part of the appeal is again you're, you're not running like you are in tennis. So as you get older and you you've got you know your knees are starting to give out and your ankles are starting to give out and stuff. It's just it's it's a lot easier to play <clears throat> and. It's kind of a just like sort of ping pong, but you're outside. It's it, it's kind of fun. Any anybody can play it. There, you don't have to cover a lot of ground. You just have to have the reflexes enough to kind of bang this thing, you know, back and forth. You don't spend a lot of time, you know, like tennis. Sometimes you know, chasing courts. Hey, throw, throw me the ball from two courts over. And it has become incredibly, incredibly popular. Now, the problem, to the extent there's a problem with pickleball, is twofold. First of all, you got people that love tennis who hate the fact that that their courts, especially like a lot of these public courts, are, are being taken over and converted from tennis courts to pickleball courts because there's a lot more demand for people to play pickleball than there is to play tennis. The second thing that causes people to <clears throat> complain is that people say pickleball is a lot louder than, than tennis 
is because there's a lot more contact. You know, you've got okay. First of all, you've got four tennis four pickleball courts for every tennis court, and you've got in many cases you've got four players that are playing. So instead of two or four players on one tennis court, you've got sixteen people. It could be that are that are playing pickleball, and so they're they're banging the ball back and forth. So you get a lot more of the thunk 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 that's going back, and a lot of neighbors complain that. My God, you know, people play pickleball from, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and they play, you know, if there's lights on, they they play till nine or 10 o'clock at night. And this is huge annoyance. And so you have this huge war that's going on. Huge story in the Wall Street Journal today and the New York Times last week. Pickleball is expanding. Tennis and neighbors are mad. Our number. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, like I say, I, I stopped playing tennis a long time ago. Um, I did when I was a kid, but I stopped playing tennis a long time ago. But when it comes to, you know, pickleball, we, we've started to play it. My wife, like I say, likes it a little more than me, but there, there's no question that, um, we're, we, we've, we, I, I mean, I get it. I, I like it. I mean, I understand why people would could play. Um, my reflexes are still okay. So I was actually pretty good at it a couple times that we've done it. And I can certainly see myself playing this more. My question is, is this a fad or is this going to be a sport that continues to grow in popularity? And it's growing in the face of, again, tennis players who don't like the fact that their courts are being taken over, and it's growing in the face of lots of, like, neighbors in some of these communities that object to the fact that you're getting the noise all in all. Is pickleball, pickleball a fad, or is this here to stay? 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk and text line, for a variety of reasons that we're going to get into. I don't think this is a fad. I, I think, and I have seen fads, but I think this is something that... It, while, while people still get injured playing pickleball, there's no question. A lot of people like try to back up and they fall. But I think this is, I think this is kind of the wave of the future because as people age, this is a way that you can continue to engage in an outdoor quote unquote sport. Um, but it's, it's a lot easier on the body in most cases than tennis is. So pickle, pickleball players, is this, is this for real or are we looking at a fad? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Three people are asking me, where does the name pickleball come from? Okay, well, it, it, there is a controversy in this. Here's, here's as near, near as I can figure out. In the summer of 1965, pickleball was founded by Joel Pritchard, Bill Bell, and Barney McCallum on Bainbridge Island, Washington. Within days, uh, the wife of Joel, Joan Pritchard, had come up with the name pickleball, a reference to the thrown-together leftover non-starters in the pickle boat of crew races. Many years later, as the sport grew, a controversy ensued when a few neighbors said that uh, they were there when Joan named the game after the family dog Pickles. Although there is a controversy because some people say, no, Pickles didn't come till afterwards, and Pickles was named after the game Pickleball. So choose it. In any event, it's, it, I mean, you think about, like, badminton and ping pong and tennis all kind of thrown together, and and that's it. Let's talk to Ken. Uh, Ken, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. How are you? Good. Is this a fad? I no, it's not a fad. Um, I come from a racquetball background, a highly competitive thirty-five years of playing racquetball, and I can't do that anymore. I can't play at that level. My body just won't allow it. But pickleball allows you to play, be competitive. You can play till you're much older. 
Um, mm-hmm. Your body doesn't ache as bad. Uh, arthritis, you know, whatever. Um, no, it's not a fad. It's going to be here for quite a while. You know, the other thing I think about pickleball, and, and obviously with your background, you're, you're probably quite good at it, but it's, it's not that hard a game to learn. And what I found is that, you know, pretty much anybody can play it. I mean, it, it's, you know, tennis, you need a certain degree of speed and power and things like that. Same thing true with racquetball. Uh, pickleball, you know, it, you, you've got the paddle and, you know, you just move the paddle back and forth. And as long as your reflexes are okay, almost anybody can play the game and have fun. Oh, I agree. I agree. I, I do teach it uh, from time to time. And some of the people that come to the club for lessons, they're, uh, it, it's tough for them to pick up but they eventually do, so yeah. I agree that it is an easier game to learn. Yeah, no, thanks for call. And one of our texters saying, <clears throat> well, here, pickleball takes less athleticism and endurance, and it can be played by people who are well into their senior years. It also takes up far less space. It can also be played indoor. I think it's it's here to stay. And I, I, I actually, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, Ken's a perfect example of that. You know, if you grow up playing racket sports and stuff like that, but you get to the point where, okay, I, I can't do racquetball anymore or I, I can't really do tennis, but I, I can go do pickleball and I can end up having fun. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Don in da- da- downtown. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Um, it's really not a fad. I think it's, it's a, there's a wonderful community um, of players, and depending on their attitude, it can be a lot of fun. If it gets Some people, especially in, if you travel to warm weather states, can be pretty competitive. Mm-hmm. It depends what you want, but as a as a marathon runner, this is a great segue into something else. Um, however, it's not the yeah. best exercise if there's a lot of people waiting. Yeah, but it, but again, I think I, I guess my response to pickleball was I, I'm not sure I necessarily went into it doing exercise. It was more like, oh, this seems like something fun to do, and we were playing it with a couple other couples and things like that. And it's it, it's. You, you can play the games relatively quickly, so it's not like you're having to commit a couple hours. It's not like you're committing four hours for a round of golf or something. It's like, oh, let, let's play pickleball a little bit, and then let's sit and have a drink or something. I thought it was a great social activity as well. There's no question about it. Yeah. That, that you, you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. so. Right. No, thank, no I, I think and that's, and that's the case. Plus, again, it, it takes up less space. And I, I think for these tennis players who are – opposing this, it's kind of like, man, you just need to start embracing this. Pam and Appleton. Pam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I am well, thank you. You a pickleball fan? I am. Um, I just got in the car and heard you talking about the reason I love it is we play up north when we go up with our family, and my we usually have like a dozen people playing, and we just kind of round-robin people in and out. But my 20-year-old nephew will play, and my 82-year-old dad will play. Yeah. So I think it covers all ages, and it's very social, and it's quick. And yeah. we it, actually traveled to Florida, and you could bring your pickleball racks in our suitcase. So we did, and met some people on the courts down there and played. And Yeah, and, and, yeah and, I think it's around. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, it's not like... Golf, for example, again, and I, I'm, a, I'm a golfer, I love it, but, you know, golf, you, you can drop thousands of dollars on clubs and balls and things like that. You know, pickleball rackets, I, 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 you know, I, I, we probably don't have the highest end ones, but I, I think for the balls and for all the stuff, you know, it was like 30 or 40 bucks, you know, <laughs> something like that. Right. And, and, and I think I could have gotten cheaper ones. So it's, it's cheap, it's easy to get into, and again, it's pretty much anybody can play it. Yes, which is very nice. Yeah, my dad used to play racket, but at 82, he doesn't yeah. move as quickly as he does anymore, and 
it's nice that he can play with his grandkids. So yeah, and my guess is he beats his, my guess is he beats his grandkids from time to time. Well, maybe depending <laughs> on his team he is. Fair, fair enough. Thanks for the call. Now I think it's here to stay. Let's take a quick break. When you wish upon a star, make no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come. Yep, it's the happiest place in the world. Hey, I, I just won the Super Bowl. I'm going to Disney World. All right now, I, I bring this up because Disney has, found, including the theme parks, has found itself the, the subject of, of lots of controversy lately. If you've been following the story of the Bob Iger, Robert Iger was the CEO, ran Disney for years and years and years. And a couple years ago, he stepped down, and his hand-picked successor was a guy named Bob Chappick. He took over, and Disney has had all sorts of problems. I'm talking about the company in general since he, he took over. He, you know, remember, got involved with the, <clears throat> the, the, the whole woke thing with and ended up taking on Florida legislatures, and Florida respond, Florida legislature responded by you know, pulling these tax-exempt status. There have been various decisions made with regard to programming on the streaming networks that have, have raised questions. So the bottom line is the board of directors lost confidence with Chappick, and they fired him after giving him a three-year contract extension uh, about six or eight months ago. So he's going to walk away with a whole bunch of money. But the story was they went out and they brought Bob Iger, who was the guy that was responsible for some incredible growth of Disney. They ended up bringing him back. So now he's the CEO. He's on a two-year deal, and he, he's got a lot of different issues to deal with. The theme parks haven't been the biggest problem at Disney if you look at the struggles the stock has had, and there's there's other issues. But there's a lot of people who are hardcore fans of Disney, whether it's Disneyland or I think out here more people end up visiting, you know, Walt Disney World. Lots of people are extremely upset with lots of things that have been going on at Disney and changes that they have been making at the parks, which a lot of which comes down to what I would describe as – well, nickel and diming people who are already paying small fortunes to, to go. Uh, I, my, my brother for years and years had a timeshare there and, and the kids, my niece and nephew, when they were younger, they, they used to love going to Disney and we would go join them from time to time. And, and I swear a, a week at Disney cost me more than like eight days in Hawaii or two weeks in Europe. I mean, it's just, it is stag. And I guess there, there's ways you can do it that are, are cheaper, but I never really found those. I mean, you can stay off a property and you can, it, it, there, there's all, there's stuff that you can do, but you, you can do it more cheaply than I did it. But, but regardless, you cannot do it in an expensive fashion. And this was, I think it's probably been about five years since I went to Disney and the prices have done nothing but go through the roof. So there's a lot of people who are just hardcore Disney fans who are very, very upset with what, you know, happens and has been happening over the last couple of years. Our number. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, I want to hear from you, either on the text line or the phone lines, those of you who are hardcore Disney fans, you know, the people who've, who've been there repeatedly, is the experience the same as it was in the past? 
Do they need to make major changes? Are they turning off the general public? Because I will tell you honestly, I, I and I've, I've been saying this for years, and I think it's only gotten worse. I don't understand how people of average means are, are able to, to go there on a regular basis. And the things that they have done over the course of the last couple of years, I, I think, have made it even more difficult and and put Disney, the Disney experience, out of the range of, of affordability. Jeff, oh my, OMG, can't believe you're talking about this. We were in Disney last week. It's terrible. They nickel and dime you. They got rid of so many things that used to be three, free. The parks are over busy, 240-minute wait for one line. They closed the Magic Kingdom early at 6 p.m. to have a party so that an additional fee to attend. Yeah, I think that's their, their Christmas thing. I think it's ridiculous. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. All right, Disney fans, do they need to change stuff in order to get you back or get you coming back or get you going in the first place? 855-616-1620. The Disney experience. How's it working out? We'll discuss in just a minute. Now, just to give you an idea of this. Um, Disney just announced that at, at the price of for three of their four Florida parks, Magic Kingdom, Epcot, and Disney's Hollywood Studios, the prices of a, of a day thing are going up at the most popular parks on the busiest days during the winter holidays. So let's say you want to you, you want to you want to go at one of those times where the kids are off school. The price for a one day visit will be one hundred and eighty nine dollars a piece, one hundred and eighty nine dollars a piece. And that's. That's that's before you they, they used to do these things called fast passes, which were free, which would let you get on the rides and bypass some of the lines. It, th- th- those are gone. You now have to pay for that stuff. The the dining plans that they used to have, those are gone. If you get one of the uh, passes, like they, they call it the park hopper thing, if you want to go to like two passes, well, they've got these limits on them. And now like at the one in Walt Disney World, you can't you can't go to the second park until after 2 p.m. So it's like, OK, you're making it really difficult to use these. Our number 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Let's start with Kevin and Newton. Hi, Kevin. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh yeah, I think the, the real story here is what Walt Disney's original purpose for having the parks and what the uh, for a family of four to be able to afford to be able to go to a place and have the magical experience just isn't there anymore. Uh, the Genie Plus, for besides that $189 ticket, the Genie Plus, to get you a little bit more advantage to go on rides, was $29 a day. So each person would pay that $29. That Christmas party that you had, we right. came back last Wednesday. We just got back. And that Christmas party, we talked to some people waiting for the bus, was $199 a person. And uh, you got cookies and free hot chocolate. You got to drink a whole lot of hot chocolate <laughs> to get the $199. And, and uh, that's on top of, of they, they clean out the park. So you you you, you yeah. paid the hundred eighty nine dollars to go into it. They they toss you out at what what six o'clock or whatever that is. Six so o'clock. if you if you want to stay and go back, it's another two hundred dollars. And this is a piece. This is not for a family. So you're you're <laughs> you're you're talking about the yeah, down payment a on a car. Person. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're nickel and diming on everything. If you want to go on Guardians of the Galaxy on. At Epcot, you can pay for one single ride, and generally that's about $17 a 
uh, per ride just to go on that particular ride on top of everything else. So, right. yeah, they're trying to nickel-dime everything. Are you going to go back? Are you, are you going to keep going back? Yeah, sorry to say, uh, we're kind of Disney fanatics, and we've both, uh, I have an annual pass, actually, we're from Wisconsin, and we've gone now three times this year, and we love the experience, but yet we have tried to find angles to try to get away with not having to pay those. We won't wait long lines, we'll get there early, uh, take advantage of some of the things that are free, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's becoming frustrating for those of us that have gone many, many years. It's really the, – the, the conversation goes back to Walt Disney. Walt Disney, his story goes back to when his grandchildren and at Disneyland, and it was all about creating a park that, that was family-orientated, and they've really gone away from that. Yeah. No. Thanks. Thanks for the perspective, and that's that's from a hardcore Disney fan. Yeah. The the the, the Genie Plus thing that he was talking about is is at Disney World and Disneyland they used to have these things called fast passes, which were free, and, and you could go and you get a fast pass, which would let let's say you wanted to go on a um the Rock and Roll roller coaster, for example, or Magic Mountain, or you know um the Space Mountain, or whatever. Then and, and you could get this pass that would say, okay, you know, you come back at 2.30. Let's say it's like 1.30 in the afternoon. You come back at 2.30. You don't have to stand in line, and you'll, you'll get on automatically. So that, but those were free, and, and you could accumulate these things so you could kind of plan out your day. That's gone, and like you said, now to get essentially the same sort of thing, you got to drop 30 bucks. And it's not just 30 bucks for you, but let's say you're there, and you've got your spouse, and you've got your two kids – um, depending on the age of the kids or whatever, you're, you're talking about in addition to the $190 to get in, you're now talking about another 30 times four. So that, you know, you, you've, you've got $120 there and it all starts to add up. One of the things that's been very, very controversial too is they used to, they, they used to have a free airport shuttle. In other words, what do they call it? They call it the Disney Express. So you fly into Orlando and you, you sign up for the Disney Express if you're staying on property and you, you'd get a pass. And it was, it was free transportation from the airport in Orlando up to Disney World and, and back. And you didn't have to take it. You could take a cab or whatever, but they've done away with that. It's, so it's, so it's another, you know, how, however much it's going to cost you, another hundred dollars or more in transportation. Jeff, fast pass is gone, replaced with Genie. Um, it's like buying Taylor Swift tickets at seven o'clock in the morning. System is awful. Also, I noticed there were a lot of breakdowns on the, the rides. Um, yeah, you've got that. Um, Jeff, the caller mentioned the annual pass. How much is that? I'm not, because I, I, I didn't ask him the question because I wanted to make a couple other points, but, um, I didn't. I didn't. I thought that they didn't even sell the annual passes anymore. That's been one of the the controversies. Jeff, my nine year old son and I will be there on the fourteenth. I haven't been there since I was about nine. We received the trip as a gift. We are um, meeting uh, as a gift. Otherwise, um, you know, thirty five hundred dollars wasn't in my budget. And I, I, again, depending on where you stay, I think. $3,500, I, it's I, good luck if you can get out of there for $3,500 for a getting there for $3,500. Good luck with that. Jeff, I'm not disputing what you're saying, but the prices were very expensive when I took my children there in the mid-1990s. It's probably all relative. Well, I understand costs go up, but the, 
and it, it's not just cost, but it's the things that they used to do that were included. I mean, okay, so so you buy a ticket for $189. Okay, that that's fine. But then it's all the – and we're not even talking about souvenirs and we're not talking about food. It's all the other costs that are there. And you go, boy, I – you know, I was going to stay on property. I never used to have to spend $50 for a cab ride. Now i got to spend the $50 for a cab ride. And, um, boy, I, I never thought that I'd, I'd, I'd have to, if I want to get just a little bit of jump avoiding the lines, it's going to cost me, you know, $30 a piece. Jeff, it most certainly needs to change, and it is so incredibly difficult for an average family. Um, thankfully, they did the right thing when they canned Chappick next last week. Well, we'll see. Let's talk to Ryan in Oconomowoc. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Ryan, 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 Ryan. Okay, lost Ryan there. The Ryan's point was going to be: well, if people stop going, they, you know, maybe they'll change. Well, yes and no. But the problem is, I, I don't, I don't know that people are are going to stop going. You've got the Disney fanatics. You've got people who who want to take their kids there. You want to make it this incredible experience, but. The, the more and more, and look, I'm a free market guy. I mean, I'm I'm just a free market guy. But you do you do have this issue when it comes to to value, and you wonder if people are going to get to the point where they start to feel, hey, you know, we're we're getting, um, you know, we're getting you know messed over with the nickel and diming and stuff like that. Jeff, the problem is people keep paying it. It will never change. Uh, Jeff, you said it's crowded. Why would they lower their prices? Well, they'd lower their prices because if if the experience long-term, so you, you have somebody who hasn't been there in 10 years, and they've been saving up, and they go there, and they, they find that it's crowded, that it's not the experience they thought they were getting. It's not the experience they remember. Yeah, they, they went, but they, they might not go back in, in the future. So, you know, short term, is, is nobody going to go to the, to the theme park? No, that's not the point. The question is long term, you know, what's, what's going to happen? And that's, I think, kind of the, uh, you know, kind of the, the balancing act on that. Um, Jeff, do you think they are pricing and politicizing themselves out of the market? Well, I, I think I, I don't know. I don't know long term, but I think they did a lot of things under the justification of, hey, we went through this pandemic. We lost a lot of money. Now we've got to make it all back. And the problem is if you make it all back, but you disillusion your your regular customers, that's, you know, long term, I, I don't know if that's successful. It might be successful in the short run. Hey, we generated more revenue this year, but next year, two, three years from now, if people say this wasn't an experience I thought, I'm not coming back, have you really gained anything?